Okay, today is June the 14th. When I look at this and I look at the numbers and I give the date, sometimes I feel like I'm playing bingo. <laughs> well, I'm very proud when I get it right. Okay, y'all all know our standard operating procedure, a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make sense in a world of madness. We're so thankful that you change not, that your word word is alive and powerful. And it goes to the depths of our souls. It changes our thinking. It gives us hope, courage, confidence. We recognize that we desperately need an infusion of your truth into our soul every single day. So we thank you for this time you've given us to set everything aside and concentrate on your mighty word and pray that you will help us to inculcate it in full. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've been doing some reading. I've been doing some watching the news. It don't look so great out there. One thing that alarmed me, this is uh, the Indiana Supreme Court says citizens can't resist rogue police. This was written by who? I don't know who it was written by. It's in the New American Magazine, page 8. Citizens have no right to responsibly resist unlawful entry into their home by police officers. Indiana Supreme Court declared May 12th in a controversial 3-2 decision. Uh, Justice... Stephen David wrote for the court in the decision that this court is faced for the first time with a question of whether Indiana should recognize the common law right to reasonably resist unlawful entry by police officers. We conclude that public policy disfavors any such right. Now, before I want to go on, I want to just make this point clear. These judges are making this decision based on public policy, which, where does that come from? I assume from their imagination, not the Constitution, not any precedent of common law. It goes on to say, we conclude that public policy dis disfavors such right. Justice David acknowledged that he was overwhelming, uh, he was overturning, excuse me, many centuries of common law pre, uh, precedent in favor of his, quote, public policy decision, admitting, quote, the English common law right to resist unlawful police action existed for over 300 years, and some scholars trace its origin back to the Magna Carta in 1215. Fellow Indiana Supreme Court Justice Robert D. Rucker issued a blistering dissent claiming, quote, the common law rules supporting a citizen's right to resist unlawful entry into her home rests on the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Indeed, the physical entry of the home is the chief evil against which the wording of the Fourth Amendment is directed. Rucker added that the majority sweeps with far too broad a brush by essentially telling Indiana citizens that government agents may now enter their homes illegally, that is, without the necessity of a warrant, consent, or exigent circumstances, and that their sole remedy is to seek refuge in the civil arena. What that means is their only remedy is to take it to court. Now, how many average 
people in America have the time, the money, the resources, the knowledge to take something like this to court. The consequences of the Barnes decisions are frightening. If a policeman enters a man's house to rob him or rape his wife or daughter under this decision, a citizen cannot legally resist him. Indeed, even uh, shouting at the police officer to, to stop could be considered a crime of interfering with a police officer. There's more here. It just gets, it's just nonsense. And did you hear that in your news? Nope. Nope. You won't find it there. These things are suppressed. Prominent law professor claims bin Laden succeeded in changing America. This is what he says, just two sentences. Our terrorism laws have transcended bin Laden and even 9-11. They have become the status quo, that is, the terrorism laws that have been passed. That is the greatest tragedy of bin Laden's legacy, not what he did to us, but what we have done to ourselves. One more. This is all on the same page, by the way. Our president is very frank about the source of authorization to attacking Libya. Our troops, or at least our planes, have attacked Libya. This is a quote. Our mission in Libya is clear and focused. We are succeeding along with our allies and partners. We are enforcing the mandate of the United Nations Security Council. In his message delivered from the White House on May 26, President Barack Obama never mentioned the U.S. Constitution while insisting it was our nation's responsibility to conduct military operations in Libya at the behest of the United Nations. And I can't give you any more. I could give you, I could spend an hour reading such things. But you probably, if you are abreast of such things, have read them already or at least know of some of these things. Right before I left, I found out that they, the school system, they have come to the conclusion, has utterly failed, especially in history. Uh, they were asking high schoolers, one of the questions they were asking them is, what document that our founding fathers left for us sets the rules for how, uh, how our government is to operate? Only about one out of, out of 25 had the right answer. Then they went out on the street and polled people, adults, just walking down the street. They showed ten interviews, just short interviews. Now the ten, not one of them, knew that that was the Constitution. And <laughs> it's not so good. I also, on the way here, found out that there was a judge, I guess it's in California, was it Proposition 8, that was uh, trying to... Um, protest to um, appeal the uh, ruling that same-sex marriage is going to be legal in this country, and they shot that down. One judge thwarted the will of the people again. Well, I'll just go on. I, I mean, <laughs> this is all in a couple of hours, just a few incidences. I guess what I'm telling you is um, you have to keep your eye on the ball. The ball is, is God. He's still in control, and even though it's very discouraging sometimes, you, you have to remember the big picture so that you won't get depressed, so that you won't get discouraged, and remember, these things must come to pass. God is in complete control. He is in charge. He will deal with them when and how they are to be dealt with. In the meantime, we have to stick to our knitting and make sure that we are on course. So that's what we're going to do. Michael, did you have something? Mm -hmm. Well, that's typical. Uh, we're going to press on. I d the reason I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this information is because some of you may not, if all you get is the 6 o'clock news, you're not going to hear any of this. You're not going to really know what's going on. And for us to see that the, the, apart from the Lord and this nation actually changing, 
actually repenting, changing their mind. And I'm talking about a complete turnaround. Short, sh anything short of that, which I don't see happening, things are going to continue to spiral what seems to be out of control, and we can't despair. We have to realize this is God's business. He will deal with this. And uh, it, it is, though, at times unpleasant to see such a once great nation and people degenerate into just a pathetic excuse for what it once was. And that's what happens when you no longer are allowing God to be mentioned in your schools. You no longer are having Him taught in the pulpits. We'll press on. Okay, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We have been dealing with the issue of separation because we have been in verse 5. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof. That would be to separate, separate from, withdraw, Greek word there, stello from every brother who leads, leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Now that's what, what got us started on the doctrine of separation. Right before that, you'll remember that we went over the doctrine of eternal life and recognized the difference between the positional sense of that term and the experiential sense of that. <clears throat> We've gone over most of the verses that have to do with separation. This is something that we'd rather not do, but we are called on to do it. That's why Paul said, <clears throat> I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was adding oomph to this command because it's something that we would rather not do, but we're still required to do it. So I'm giving you a few last points here. We went over this, but I'm giving you one more shot at it with regards to separation. This is the point number six that we had. It is sometimes hard to separate from friends and family, but if we ignore this command, we will regret it. If we don't re remove ourselves from the bad behavior, mental attitude, sins, and spiritual apathy of others, it will bring us down. Don't think that you can associate with people who hate God's Word, who are negative, and it not eventually rub off on you. Point seven, tolerating those who have become negative or antagonistic towards doctrine not only harms, <coughs> excuse me, should be, I didn't leave this in there, not only harms us, but it also harms them does not show love to others, pretending all is well when it is not. It's not easy or pleasant to discontinue a relationship, but when someone is out of control, a relationship with them is not worth having. One thing that I didn't bring out that I think I ought to bring out now is in Matthew chapter 18. We're talking here about people who are in consistent sin. They, they're sinning as a pattern, and they're not taking responsibility for it. We are to separate from that type of people. However, if you have a person that you're in a relationship with and they have sinned against you, then Matthew chapter 18 gives us the remedy. Let's go there just for a moment. You need to mark this in your Bible because sooner or later you're going to need it.
Verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. And if your brother sins, and sins against you is the context, you might write that in if it's not, if it helps you understand what this is talking about. And if your brother sins against you, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now what this means is, you need to, maybe confront is too strong a word. If something is bothering you, now we're going to, in a a few moments, we're going to look at a chart that gives you uh, things that we are not to tolerate and things that we are to tolerate. And we all have to tolerate each other, don't we? I mean, we might as well acknowledge it. We all have our idiosyncrasies and foibles. All of us are weird in some area. All of us just, we are, you know we are. I mean, if, if I followed you around for one day and I saw everything that you did, I thought, hmm, I sure wouldn't do it that way. Or, that just really doesn't make sense. If you followed me around for one day, you would think, wacko. <laughs> we all can hide it. We're professionals. But we all have these things. We, we have an old sin nature that is just prodding us all the time. Guys that work around me sometimes have to put earphones on or something because I'm a whistler. I don't know why when I work, it just I just whistle. And then when they complain about my whistling, I said, I can break out in song if you'd like that better. We all have these things. And we, we are to tolerate. We are required to. That's part of impersonal love. That is part of our unconditional love that we are required. We are commanded to love each other with this agape type love. Because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have any friends. We, we would just hardly have any contact with people. It would be constant battle every day. But there is a time to tolerate and a time not to tolerate. We'll get to that. But what this is saying is when some a friend has done something that has really gotten to you, it has impeded your relationship. It has to be dealt with. Don't think that you can just brush it under the rug and all will be well because a friend will be able to tell when something's wrong. A family member will be able to tell. And you might as well get it out in the open because if you don't do that, if both of you know that something isn't right and you're pretending all is well, that's not a relationship. That's fako. That just gets into hypocrisy. It's just not worth having. So Matthew 18 is explaining to us, this is how you handle it. You go to that person, and this is not combative. You go to that person and say, look, you know, I really value our relationship. Something has happened. I have to address it so that we can get back on the right track. You have done such and such, and it has hurt me. It's a sin, and I have to bring it to your attention. Now, there is one possibility that's mentioned here in verse 15. By the way, underline the word private. You don't do this before other people. You will shoot yourself down. It will embarrass them. It will embarrass other people. You do it in private. You're going to get the best results in private. If he listens to you, you have run a brother. In other words, if he says, Oh, man, I didn't even realize that I did that. And I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. Will you forgive me? Yes, I do. Bam, you're back on track. All is well. Too many times, rather than going to the person, we go to other people. We'll talk about a person and instead of going to them and trying to straighten, straighten it out with them one-on-one. That's what we should do in private. However, if that doesn't work, verse 16, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. Now, the people you want to take with you would be not just those that doesn't like this person already. It isn't those that you know will side with you no matter what. You want to take someone who is versed in doctrine. You want to take someone who is objective and fair and that you really respect with regards to the integrity they have, the choices they make. You take them with you and you come to this person again and you say, look, you know, I want to resolve this. Maybe I'm. Maybe there's something here I'm not seeing. Maybe I should not be offended. Maybe what you really did wasn't wrong. 
let's, let's give them the scenario. These objective out, outsiders that they don't have an axe to grind and see what happens. That's the second thing you do. And according to verse uh, 16, but if he doesn't take, uh, uh, if he doesn't listen to you, that's when you go to him the first time. You take the other two, so that you're going to have th- uh, two or three witnesses. So that you're, it's not just your judgment. This is judgment of other people as well. Verse 17. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean that if you go to this person, you take two other people, and this person is still entrenched in this sin, not taking responsibility for it, it doesn't give you nor the other people that you take with you a green light and go and blab to the church everything that's taken place. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the leadership of the church. You take it to the leadership of the church, the presbyteros, and give it to them. Explain what has happened. Then they are going to make a decision according to verse uh, 17. Tell it to the church, and if he refuses, if he still refuses to listen, even to them, let him be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Now, what that means is you employ the doctrine of separation. You have nothing to do with that person. And it is doctrinally correct for the leadership of that church to tell the congregation that this person is to be separated. You are not to have any dealings with this person because the in Romans chapter 5, the church did not do that with the adulterous, well, or the, actually the incestuous believer. And Paul rebuked them severely. And we haven't had to do this at this church. And I hope we don't have to. But I'm giving you the biblical remedy when someone has offended you in a, in a sin, has sinned against you and you try to remedy it and they don't take responsibility for it. They don't acknowledge their wrongdoing. And so you bring in some others. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off here. What do you think? And have some others and they say, no, you're right. This person is, is sinning and not taking responsibility for it, then you go to the leadership, and if it's still that case, then the uh, doctrine of separation. Some would call that shunning. You don't do it because he is your enemy. You do it in order to highlight the seriousness of the matter. And this is a, a very emphatic, very... Uh, what some would see as a harsh thing to do. But you do not help that person nor your fellow members of the church when you pretend that it's okay. Even in those circumstances, you have to follow the protocol that we have in the, in the Bible. So I didn't give you that to, that, uh, that to you before, but that is the right protocol, that uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. So, point number seven we have here. Tolerating those who have become negative or antagonistic towards the doctrine not only harms us, but also harms them. Separation helps the errant friend or family member to realize the seriousness of their bad attitude or behavior. Your toleration may be seen by them as a sign that you condone or approve of their sin. Certainly, if you don't separate from them and you act as if, well, my relationship with you is more important than me obeying the command to separate from God, that emboldens them to even be more entrenched in this sin. Now, one thing that cuts this whole thing off at the pass is that we are to be, we have to 
be careful not to invade other people's privacy. But maybe even more importantly than that, we don't want to be blabbing things that other people don't need to hear. Probably there have been people who have come to this church over the last 20 years that were living together and they weren't married. Now, I didn't know that, and maybe you didn't know it. And if they come here, sit down, and they want to listen to doctrine and, and grow, more power to them. They don't need to be blabbing that because if they start blabbing it in the sense that it's okay, then it has to be dealt with. If a homosexual comes in here, and we don't know whether they're homosexual or not, and they sit down, they have good manners, they listen to the Word, they're welcome to come in here, they're welcome to listen. But what they are not welcome to do is come in here and say, I'm a homosexual, and I think it's fine and dandy. Then we have a problem. Because if we allow that to happen, it is a sign of condoning it, and we are not to condone it. Now, for any person or any church that does this, they can expect to be labeled and called hypocrites, um, unloving, judgmental. Well, we have to make judgments. We have to make discernments. And so we're not to... If, if you have a question about someone in, that comes to this church as to whether they're married or not, whether they're shacking up, whether they're homosexuals, whether they're bank robbers, whether they're um, cross-dressers on each Sunday or whatever they may do, don't ask. It's none of our business. If they're here to get doctrine, they're welcome to do it. Don't pry into anything like that. Now, sometimes it comes out and you don't, you don't even try to. I had, a, I had a friend who actually was a neighbor. I hadn't seen in 12, 12 13 years, something like that. He, he had moved away and I, he, he came to visit his parents, which, is, which were our neighbors. He was probably 25, something like that. Well, maybe older than that. Anyway, he, he came to the porch, and we were just sitting there, just passing the time, hadn't seen him in a while. And he was telling me how big he was in his Lutheran church, and he's doing uh, all these things. And I was a little bit surprised because he never was one to be big in church. But he was telling me about it. I said, that's great. And he was talking about Deborah. I said, oh, Deborah, yeah, you know. I said, well, how long y'all been married? And I thought that was an innocent question. He was talking about how they've uh, redecorated the house and they... They, they've got all the things they're involved in and everything. And I just, I was not prying. I, it wouldn't that be an, I, I thought it was an innocent, just a regular type question. How long y'all be all been married? Oh, well, we're not married. And, you know, <laughs> what do you do then? Oh, 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 you're not married. Oh, you're big in the church. And you looked up in the community and you're not married. Okay, well, I'm not his pastor. I'm not there to pass judgment on him. He could see that I was shocked. But it didn't matter. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to keep it secret. It was like, just matter of fact, you know, I wear brown socks uh, and I'm not married. And I live with somebody. Just in the course of conversation, that even made it more awkward to me. I didn't know what to do with it. So sometimes you can fall into it by accident, but we are to be here we're here for one reason, and that is to learn God's Word, to grow in grace and knowledge, and give everybody else the same opportunity without prying. Now, there's another side of that coin. Some people are hypersensitive with regards to being overly private. Uh, there might be someone come in through those doors, and you welcome them and say, Hi, how are you doing? Welcome to Country Bible Church. Are you from around here? Well, why do you want to know? Is somebody asked about me where I live? Somebody looking for me? And you just ask them. These are the type of things that can happen. By the way, I hope that you do make people that come here that you don't know feel welcome. It is not intruding on anybody's privacy to go up to them and say, Hi, my name is John Brown, and I'm glad to have you here. I hope that you'll enjoy it and come back or whatever you want to say. Make them feel welcome. That's not intruding on anybody's privacy. If I went to a church, and this isn't a big church. I mean, you get lost in a mass 
in big church and nobody say anything to you. shouldn't be that way. But anyway, when people come to a smaller church, if I went to a church this side and I was visiting and I went away and nobody said, hello, how you doing? Are you from around here or whatever? I would think, what's wrong with those people? Where is the, the love? I mean, where is just the... I, I think it would be poor manners. If someone came to your house, knocked in, can I come in? And they came in and you watched a, a, a tape with them. A doctrinal tape. And it was over. Bye. They live. Wouldn't that be a little bit awkward? When you say something to them? So we need to make people feel welcome, but we do not pry into their business. Make a point, not, not to put insert foot in mouth, like I did just by a, what I thought was a completely innocent question, how long have y'all been married? So, point eight. When separation is necessary, care must be taken that we don't appear to be superior, self-righteous, or judgmental. We don't have a choice. We are commanded by the Word of God to do it. It's not... When you recognize the symptoms, when you recognize this is what you are called on to do, don't do it in a superior manner like, well, you're a sinner and I'm not guilty of your sin, so I'm better than thou. We're doing it because we are commanded to do it. Prayer and... A prayer for the person, a prayer for direction in handling the situation is a must. This is, this is something that we don't want to do. And there has been times I've had to do it. There may have been times that you had to do it. We don't have to feel guilty for doing it if we do, it's a, do the right thing in the right way. And so when we separate from someone, we tell them, I, I value your relationship. I would love to see it continue, but it cannot continue. The Word of God forbids me to continue to have a relationship with you as long as you continue to do blah, 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 whatever it may be. I have to separate from you. Otherwise, it would be a sign of condoning it, and God nor His Word condones it. Uh, we're not to separate from others because we get our feelings hurt or because someone has wronged us in some way. What is the cure for number nine? Matthew 18. If someone hurts your feelings, someone has wronged you in some way, and you can't get over it, most, I don't know what the percentage of the time is, but the great majority of the time, we should just get over it. But sometimes it's a sinful thing that we cannot, we cannot avoid. Separation is only called for when someone continues to sin and refuses to take responsibility for it. Remember the when I, last time I was, we were going over this, I said, if someone has done something, let, let, let's say it's a homosexual, and, and they know that homosexuality is wrong, God condemns it, and they're struggling with it, that's not a person you separate from. You separate from someone who, who is a homosexual and is proud of it. They've come out of the closet and they are essentially promoting it. They, are, they, they might be the first one in the gay pride parade. I don't know. Well, these are the type of people you have to separate from. Now, here's what we have, the difference. I hadn't had anything up there, have I? Okay. Here you go. Here, here, here's what we just went over right here. Okay, now. <laughs> They're on the Internet. Uh Things we do not tolerate and things we do tolerate. We do not tolerate abuse of a wife or child. You, and, and, and mental separation, remember there's mental separation that's applying unconditional love, does not cut it there. You have to separate yourself from someone that does that. Crimes such as theft, assault, etc., you separate from that. Adultery, homosexuality, incest, pederasty, bigamy, all these are, are, are uh, not only sins but uh, crimes. Children's bad behavior. 
You don't have to put up with children's bad behavior. And that is a, one that a lot of people do, even their parents. They think this is, they'll grow out of it. Have you ever heard that? They're having a bad day. They're not normally a monster. Oh, yes, they are. Well, that's why they're acting that way. And it's not because they're having a bad day. You're having a bad day because you haven't trained them properly and you have not enforced humility on them so that they will be authority-oriented. And because of that, your life is going to be miserable until you do. Intrusion of privacy. Sometimes you may want to confide in someone, and that's fine. If someone asks you something that you think is invading your privacy, maybe the best answer is, I'm not comfortable answering that. You could say that's none of your business, but that's a little brutal for some. Even our own government has limits and cannot intrude in your privacy. They shouldn't be even able to enter your home or do anything of that sort apart from a warrant. And that's why I read you that first part today because that is that's devastating. Bad language and vulgarity. You don't have to put up with that. Especially when there's children around. You know, I have, I have to tell you, I have a, what could I call it, a... I have something going for me that helps me that none of y'all have with regards to this bad language and vulgarity. Because when people find out I'm a pastor, guess what happens to their vocabulary? <laughs> huh? Uh, what was it? Two weeks ago, I went offshore with some guys, a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And he was trying to warn me. He says, you know... <clears throat> One of these guys have a, has a, a black belt in foul mouth. And I said, well, I, I understand that. I said, I do not have virgin ears. I've been in construction. I've been in sports. There's probably nothing they can say that I haven't heard. He's, and, and I thanked him for telling me that. I mean, he was con somewhat concerned. But I said, I, most of the time bad language is just a lack of vocabulary. They don't know how to articulate or to express themselves. Anyway, went on, the, went on the boat, and the guy that had the black belt in foul mouth, I bet he didn't say over three cuss words the whole time, and they weren't so bad. And when he did, he apologized to me. Sorry, preacher. I said, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm just a guy just like you. I wanted to tell him, you don't even have to apologize to God. All you got to do is acknowledge that sin. <laughs> but I thought, well, I don't think this would is the time. Anyhow, um, so I have an edge when it comes to dealing with this because for whatever reason, I think it's absolutely silly for people to think they have to act a certain way around me. What they don't know is I'm probably worse than they are. Now, I'm not talking about language. I have, I do try to curtail any of the things that might be shocking that come out of my mouth, but sometimes don't be around me when I hit my thumb with a hammer because it will come out before I even know it. It's, isn't that something? You don't have to, hit, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't have to think, now what are those bad words that I would like to express now? No, they're there. Where do they come from? Well, that's who we are. I've never had to search for a bad word when I wanted to use one. It's always right there. There's one guy I worked with one time. You could tell when he's really going to get on a, 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 on a cussing rant. Because he would always start out, you blue bearded, and then a whole list of profanity. Now, I've never seen anybody with a blue beard. And I don't know why it was blue bearded that would be the tip-off that you better yeah, close your ears or something. Uh, we don't have... And there's ways to handle this. If you're a man and someone is so crude and ill-mannered as to use bad language around children, you don't have to 
be macho and go over there and challenge them. Just say, sir, there are children here. I'd appreciate it if you would watch your language because this, this is not proper uh, language for children. If you don't mind, I'd appreciate it. That type of thing. And then if they continue to do it, remove yourself from that area if possible. I had a friend one time that had um, a boat and he went to a, one of these marinas. His children were there and they had rented this boat. They were on vacation and they went up to this marina to get some gas or whatever it was. And this one guy was so vulgar and loud and using all kind of profanity in front of the children. And he was a big biker, you know, rough and tough looking guy. And this guy was just an average guy and he asked him, would you please um, tone it down? <laughs> and he challenged him. He's a big blowhard. And uh, it, it was getting very tense. And another guy pulled up in a boat, and he was a biker that made this other biker look like a sissy. And he looked like kind of like Goliath. You know, he walks up there and he says, I, can't, I wish I had a deeper voice. What's the problem? <laughs> and the guy just explained to him, the guy said, I asked him not to use this kind of language. And when he said that, the guy started using bad language again. And this guy, the bigger one, picked this other one up and threw him against the wall, you know, and read him the riot act and all this. And he apologized for the other guy. Both of them were, you know, tattoos and all the uh, regalia, everything they had. But it just goes to show you, you can't tell by how someone looks whether what's on the inside. So, we, we, and, and by the way, guys, I know that we have a certain vocabulary around each other. Now, we're very, even on, when we're here on, at the church, maybe even when you're at home and there's stressful conditions, you're, you're tired and, and it's easy to say something maybe that you would rather not have said. I'm not talking about profanity and everything, but being sharp with people and that type of thing. But when we are around ladies, we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. And, and I know this is not fashionable anymore. And I also realize that these days it's the females that talk much worse than the guys. I've noticed as of late it appears that there are more females with tattoos than there are guys. And the ones that have tattoos have more of them. And in all kind of weird places. I was checking out of Lowe's the other day, and this girl, she looked normal to me. And she went to, you know, give me money. And right here behind her head, right, right in this area, was a tattoo of a spider web, and something was in that, like a spider or something. I thought, what is that? And I was so, I was, I couldn't figure it out. Is that a spider? Is that a bug? What is it? And I'm trying not to let her see that I'm really taken with this tattoo. What would possess a woman to have a spider web right? You can't hide it. And her hair was back like this where you could see it. And whatever that was in that spider, the spider web was black. But whatever that was was red in the spider web. And I don't know what it was. I'd love to have gotten closer to inspect that. What is with that? Well, I'm getting off course here. Uh, bullying, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to tolerate bullying or tyranny. These are things that, whether it's coming from a person or whether it's coming from a group of people or whether it's coming from a government, you do not have to tolerate this. The Bible never says that we have to tolerate these types of things. What we do tolerate, though, ingratitude, impatience. Oh, thank you that that's tolerable. <laughs> uh Forgetfulness, unfriendliness, insensitivity, idiosyncrasies. That's what I was talking about earlier, the weirdness in us. Uh, thoughtlessness, outbursts of anger, gossip, foibles. Idiosyncrasies and foibles are pretty close to the same. I don't know how they're different, but they're two different words. I know that. Insults, anger, pettiness. This could go on and on. But it's important for us to be able to distinguish between these two things. Listen, part, if not a major part, 
of being spiritually mature is to be able to have discernment. And discernment is being able to determine what will I tolerate and what will I not tolerate. Discernment has to do, when you're looking at the Scriptures, is this positional or is this experiential? Discernment has to do, uh, what, what age is this? Dispensationalism. All this makes a difference. And that comes with time and diligence in taking God's Word in. And you, can get, you get these mixed up. If you think that you have to tolerate, if, if you're a wife and you think you have to tol- tolerate abuse from a husband because he's your husband, it can cost you your life. We'll press on. All of this was the doctrine of separation. Go back to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. See, we just dealt with the keep aloof. That is the separation part. Now we get more information than this. From every brother, impartial here, who leads an unruly life. Unruly is atoktos. Actually, it's atoktos. A-T-A-K-T-O-S. It's an adverb. It means to defy good order, to behave without respect for established customs or received instructions. Irresponsible behavior. That means anyone who says essentially by their behavior, I know what the Bible says. I know what we've received in instructions, but I don't care. I'm a free... I'm independent. I'm a a free thinker, I'm going to do what I want to do, then that says that we are to separate from that kind. The fact that every brother is included in this command means that we cannot show partiality as to who we will or will not separate from. It's not the person that determines it. It is their behavior that matters. And if you have a good person that you have a rapport with and it falls off into this, just because you like them, just be, that is not the person. It's the behavior that makes the difference. There are certain people you might enjoy separating from. We don't have that luxury. And not according to tradition. The word here, uh, tradition, is paradosis. P-A-R-A-D-O-S-I-S. It's a noun accused of singular feminine. It means to deliver in teaching a tradition, a doctrine, or injunction delivered or communicated from one to another. So we see tradition. What You could just take this word and translate it teaching, and it would be the same. In fact, it would be even more clear. It's not talking about tradition as the way that we understand it so much. It's talking about tradition in the sense of something that has been communicated consistently. This is the second time in this epistle Paul emphasized the importance of adhering to tradition or teaching he delivered to the Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. In the same epistle, one chapter back, he used the same word, and he says, stand fast and hold those traditions. He praised the Corinthians for holding firm to the traditions he taught. 1 Corinthians 11, 2. Now I praise you, brethren, or excuse me, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, to the teachings, just as I have delivered them to you. Now this next part, which you have received from us. This is so important, what I'm going to give you here. And I'm just about out of time. 
it, does, it seems innocuous. Well, what could be so big about this? Which you received from us. I'll just give you a point here to get our feet wet, but there's much more that needs to be taught about this. Holding to just any old tradition that comes along or traditions that are not based on God's infallible Word are not in view here. They were commanded to hold to the teaching of the one God delegated to communicate doctrine to them. Not just anybody. He says, to the traditions or the teaching which you received from us. Not someone else. From us. We live in an age where there is a tremendous amount of information about the Bible and religion. One can choose books, magazines, TV, radio, Internet websites, blogs, tweets, newsletters, and conferences. And there's more. I left out um, where they have it on the telephone. What's that called? Uh, no. Um, no. Uh, I know Baraka does it. They have them all over the place. Oh, FX's. FX's, yeah, FX's. FX's, that's another one. I, I put blogs and tweets in there. I've never blogged and I never tweeted. <laughs> Maybe I blogged and didn't know it, but I know I hadn't tweeted. <laughs> but they're out there. A lot of people are blogging and tweeting these days. And they're blogging and tweeting about the Bible. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it is really good and beneficial, beneficial, but most of it is not. False doctrine abounds, and believers who are not already grounded in the Word can, be easy, can easily become confused or misled. Do you see where I'm going with this? He says you are to uphold the teachings that you received, not from anywhere, from us. Now, there's a lot to that. It is imperative that believers have a local church with their right pastor to which they have submitted. They need this home base where they can learn systematic theology. Apart from this, they can become confused and led astray by teachers who sound good but teach false doctrine. This is the method that God has ordained for us to grow. Apart from a home base and a right pastor, one can easily become an eclectic. Now what is an eclectic? An eclectic is a person who decides that he will believe uh, what he will believe by cho choosing what appears to be best in various doctrines or methods. Rather than submitting to the authority of a teacher, an eclectic is an authority to himself. This is definitely not how the Bible teaches us to learn. Which you have received from us. This is what I'm emphasizing. This refers to the Apostle Paul and those who were traveling with him who also had the spiritual gift of communicating God's Word. This was a very small, well-defined group of doctrinally sound communicators with specific teaching. Paul didn't give them the right to decide for themselves who to separate from. Their choice was to obey, obey Paul's command or disobey it. He did not give them the prerogative to consult several other people and conclude for themselves as to why or from whom they would separate. In like manner, believers have the option to accept the teaching and the authority of their pastor-teacher or to reject it. If they reject it, they have the right to find another pastor-teacher that they can submit to. However, the Bible does not give them the option of being an authority to themselves and to become an eclectic. 
the Bible was never designed for any believer to go onto the internet, to go to TV, to go to radio, to go to books, to go to magazines, to go over this whole mass of information we have today and say, I think I'll take a little bit of this one. Oh, that, I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take some of this. This one sounds pretty good on that one over there. Uh, I believe this. I don't believe that, but I'll take this. You know what you wind up when you do with that? A hodgepodge of nonsense. And what that leaves out, which is imperative for anybody to grow, is humility and submitting to authority. That's the way God says that you are to learn. Every believer is to learn this way. And the reason I'm making such a point of this is because it's so prevalent today. Because we have more information than people in other ages had no idea. They couldn't dream in their wildest dreams how much information we have access to. And if you don't have systematic theology already grounded in your soul, if you don't have a home base pastor-teacher that you've submitted to, that you're learning from, if you don't have that, you're in big-time trouble because that's the way that God has designed for believers to grow. It's not, you're not responsible to go out there and dig it all out from all these different sources and come up with some type of theology. Because when you do that, what happens is you become an authority unto yourself. And God doesn't say that you are to do that. What does He say? Hebrews 13, 7, 17. Submit to those who have authority over you. And He's talking about pastors. He's talking about the leadership in the church. That's how you are to grow. And it's because you hardly ever hear this spoken of. But there are a lot of people out there that think, I don't need to go to church, man. i got the Internet. I can go down to the... Christian bookstore. Look at all the books that are there. I can listen to the radio. I can go to TV. I have all these things. None of these things are the method that God has given. Sure, they can help. And what I'm, I don't have time to do it now. I'm already past time. But let me tell you this. I'll tell you this because this is where we're going to start next time on this issue. I'm not saying that the only place you can learn doctrine from is your right pastor. I am not saying that but i'm saying that is the method that god has designed for us to grow and you have to be very careful when you go outside of that parameter and i advise young baby believers not to do it but if you have systematic theology already in your soul and you start you can't hardly be away from it, can you? Anywhere you go, you're going to, this information is just bombarding you. And this has to be addressed. And that's why I'm saying when he is giving this information, when, when, actually the command, stay aloof from anyone who does not, it goes against the traditions, don't hold the traditions, which you have received from us. There were philosophers. There were all types of thinkers and uh, religious types and cults. He says, you don't make your decision for who you're going to separate from from these. You do it from what we have taught you. Now, this is just the introduction of what we're going to go into next time, but I wanted you at least to get a taste because this needs to be addressed. You need to understand the design of learning in the Bible. And, and I'm not telling you that if you go and you read another book or you listen to someone else or whatever else, that oh, you're way off course. I'm not saying that. But there are people that think that all I need to do is get enough information. I'll decide from all of this what is right, and I'll, that's, I'm, I'm good to go. And I'm saying, no, you're going to be confused. It's going to be a hodgepodge a mess in your soul. What happened to Eve? Well, the first pop out of the box, what happened? Satan came to Eve. Hath God said? What was he doing? He, you don't have to listen to him. You can decide for yourself. And what I'm saying, God doesn't give us that prerogative. 
we can decide to line up under His authority in the divine domain and learn it that way. And if we don't do it that way, you might think you're independent, but you're not. You're solidly in the cosmic compound. You are in Satan's camp. Those people who think, I don't have to be under an authority, I can get it all on my own because all the things that are available these days are way out of line. They are confused. And we'll continue this next time. Sorry to leave you on this note. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's more to come. And this is, I'm so glad that this verse ended in that phrase. According to what? According to us. The traditions which come from us. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Wow, it just is so full, so rich, so many things that we need to know about eternal life, about separation, and about how to grow, especially in an age that is choking on information. We thank you that you have revealed these things to us and how important it is for us to file this in long-term memory so that we can utilize it and we can apply it. Thank you for that. We pray that you will help us to focus on these things, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.